Today's scripture is Psalm 86, verses 11 through 17. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me because I serve you, just as my mother did. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Grant us your strength to hear this word and follow its wisdom. Well, thank you, Lena. And uh, what a big band we had today, huh? Twelve people up there, my goodness. Well, anyway, uh, I want to welcome you all on this Lord's Day, all of you who are worshiping here and all of you online as well. And... uh, if you are new here, just as uh, uh, we, we heard earlier, if you're new here or you're worshiping online with us and we haven't, don't know who you are yet, uh, please, we ask you to text hello to that number. And uh, we would just, Jen Robinson will reply to you. We'd, we'd love to just kind of check in with you and, and get to know you a little bit. You know, every year um, we have an, a church, we call a church conference, and uh, it's, a, it's a meeting that we have just to handle the regular business and reports of the church. We have to have it every year. And uh, this year, it's going to be on a week from Tuesday, October 18th at 6.30. And uh, we're going to be doing it at the same time with some other United Methodist churches at St. Luke United Methodist, which is across from Burke High School. So... Um, And I also want to let you know that our bishop and district superintendents have have announced this week that they will not be holding any church conferences in November and December. So any churches that were hoping to uh, vote on their denominational affiliation after October, we have to wait till January. So our church council have been hearing from a number of you that You'd rather decide sooner rather than later. Well, it seems that January will be as soon as it'll happen, okay? Um, In our August survey, more than 70% of you said you wanted to hear from me about the issues uh, before us in in our denominational question. And so I've scheduled two events that we're calling Todd Talks. And uh, they'll, they're going to be today and next Sunday at 5 o'clock. I know more than 100 of you have signed up for the one today. And, uh, and both sessions will be the same, so you can go to either one. And, and I'll be talking about three questions. One, what's the most important reason to choose the United Methodist Church or the Global Methodist Church? And what does the Bible teach about same-sex relationships? And what impact could a vote have on Faith Westwood. So we'll, we'll go through that today. And, uh, and as we enter this period of discernment, 
I invite you to make October a month of prayer and fasting. And I've written a prayer of discernment um, that I'd like you to to join with us all, and, and let's pray it together now, shall we? Holy and gracious God, in your mercy you have called Faith Westwood to be a community of Jesus' people, saved by grace through faith. Good and kind Father, let us not forsake the love we had at first, and if we have forsaken that love, we repent. Lord Jesus, we want to love you, keep your commands, and follow in your steps. Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth. As we enter this time of discernment about our denominational affiliation, make us wise through the Holy Scriptures so we do not just listen to what we want to hear. Save us from being deceived by the evil one. As we make our individual decisions, help us to do so not based on sentiment or anger or wishful thinking, but based on your will for us. May every word we say and every action we take be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, back in 1981, I went to my first appointment. When I, I served at First United Methodist in Hastings as their associate pastor. And I look back on that now and I'm going, oh, I was so young. I was so green. 25 years old, 24 years old. I was so immature. Uh, and uh, I wondered, how did they put up with me all these years? But they did. Now, today, that church is celebrating its 150th anniversary, and so I sent them a short video greeting, and I thanked them for being so gracious to that dumb young kid who came up in 1981 to be their pastor, associate pastor. Today's message is, the Lord is gracious, and it's part of our series that we're doing um, uh, called Good Morning, This is God, and, on, and it's built on Exodus 34, 6, which is echoed then uh, more than 20 times in the Old Testament. In Exodus, God invites Israelites into a covenant, and they agree. You know, Lord, we're going to be your people, you're going to be our God. But they very quickly start worshiping a golden calf, disobeying the Lord's commands, and God is not very happy with them. He has every right to wipe them out, but he does not. Instead, he renews his covenant with them and reveals to him the kind of God he is. And as I've said before, whenever you see the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it is a translation for the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh, which means I am. So here's Exodus 34, 6. I'll put it on the screen where God speaks his name, Yahweh, twice. But I'm going to translate it as I am this time. I am. I am the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. 
Last Sunday, we took that first one, that compassion, and we looked at the compassion of God. Today, we're looking at the graciousness of God. The Lord's graciousness means our faults do not overrule his favor toward us. That is the heart of today's message. I hope you'll write it down, take it home, take a picture, talk to your family, talk to your group about it. Will you say it with me? The Lord's graciousness means our faults don't overrule his favor toward us. Here's a little bit of uh, uh, archaeology, a little tidbit for you. Uh, The oldest archaeological piece of Hebrew scripture uh, known to us dates back to the 6th or 7th century B.C., so it's prior to the exile to Babylon. In 1979, just outside of Jerusalem in a burial cave, they found two small rolls of thin silver, each about the size of a cigarette butt. And then when they were unrolled, they were only a few inches long, but on them they found some tiny engraved Hebrew writing. And one of them, it says, Yahweh the Great, who keeps the covenant and shows graciousness to those, toward, to those who love him and keep his commandments. And these rolled up sheets of silver were amulets or like charms, probably worn on a, on a necklace uh, so the wearer would be reminded of who God is, of God's graciousness. Now, if you were to wrap up the entire message of the Bible in one word, what would that that word might be? Uh, You might say love or holiness or redemption. But I think that you could make a strong case that the overall theme of the Bible is grace because God is gracious. Now, human stories of graciousness, for me, help me understand God's graciousness. And maybe that's why the Bible is, has so many, so full of them. Uh, for example, in Genesis, Joseph was sold off into slavery by his older brothers. Decades later, what happens to Joseph? He rises through the ranks and becomes prime minister of Egypt. And when his brothers show up during a famine looking for food, they don't recognize that's Joseph. Joseph doesn't tell them either right away. He kind of toys with them for a little bit. And then he reveals himself to them and and tells them to not be afraid. And he welcomes them and he takes care of them and feeds them. Joseph is gracious. Naomi is widowed. And then both her sons died. So she sets off, returns to her hometown. But one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, from the country of Moab, goes with her and and treats Naomi like she was her own mother and cares for her and provides for her. Ruth is gracious. In ancient times, when a a king rose to power, uh, if if the previous king was from a different family, uh, it was common for the new king to, you know, kill off all the former king's family. Eliminate all rivals. When David becomes king of Israel in about 1000 BC, he he reaches out to the last living offspring of his predecessor, King Saul's grandson, 
Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. I can't do that three times. I can hardly do it once. So David brings Mephibosheth into his home and has him eat at the royal table with, along with David's children. David is gracious. The night before Jesus is crucified, his, his disciple Simon Peter denies him three times. You know the story. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus asks him to feed his lambs, to tend his sheep. Jesus is gracious to a denier. Disciple Thomas doesn't believe the reports that Jesus is raised from the dead until, huh, surprise, Jesus shows up and invites Thomas to touch his wounds. And Jesus says, stop doubting and believe. Jesus is gracious to a doubter. Jesus is full of grace. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for grace is chen. So if you say the name Ken but clear your throat, you got it, okay? Chen. Ken can mean uh, delight or favor. You know, that, that ancient amulet, silver uh, thing that was rolled up, you could call that an ornament of chen. Uh, the wisdom that you get from your parents is a gift of chen, chen. Uh, Proverbs 1.9 in the New Living Translation says, what you learn from them, that is your parents, will crown you with grace, chen, and be a chain of honor around your neck. When you speak with excellence in a way that blesses people, Psalm 45.2 says, your lips have been anointed with grace, with chen. The story of Queen Esther I think gives us a fascinating picture of the meaning of chen. Uh, Esther is married to the king of Persia, uh, but he doesn't know that she's a Jew. They've been keeping it secret. Then there's a plot by one of the king's advisors to annihilate all the Jews in the empire. So Esther takes a big risk. She approaches the king uninvited, and that could be off with your head. Fortunate, fortunately, he welcomes her and says, what is your request? She says, I'm making a big dinner for you tonight. I'll ask you then. You know, the way to a man's heart, right? <laughs> and after dinner, he says, what is this request of yours? Esther says, I'm going to make dinner for you tomorrow night too, and I'll ask you then. <laughs> so she makes dinner the next night. And after the meal... The king wants to know, what is this request? She's got him right where she wants him, right? Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor, chen, with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. So Esther's looking for a favorable response. And the king responds favorably. The king delights in her. 
Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 86. Uh, we're going to start with verse 11. In uh, the Pew Bible, uh, it starts on page 589. It's called A Prayer of David. Now, like Esther uh, petitioning the Persian king, David is petitioning God. And in the beginning of the psalm, David gives reasons why God, he wants God to be gracious and regard him with favor. Now, before he gives his urgent request, he decides to ask God to teach him and to change his heart. That's always a great prayer, right? Ask God to show you, to teach you, to change your heart. Verse 11 says, teach me your way, Lord that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. You know, I think David's a lot like us. He he recognizes, a lot of times my heart is divided. You know, we're all a bag of mixed motives, aren't we? So he prays for a pure heart, an undivided heart. He knows that, that this is really important. And then I think David experiences a taste of what it means to have an undivided heart, or at least he's really aspiring to it. In verse 12, I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. And then David's remembering how how good God has been at answering his prayers in the past. And he remembers how God has been gracious and shown him favor and delivered him from what looked like in the past certain death. Verse 13. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. And so it seems that David's in a similar predicament now. People are trying to get him. They're trying to assassinate him, even though he's God's anointed king. Verse 14 says, arrogant foes, they're attacking me. Oh, God, ruthless people are trying to kill me. They they have no regard for you. You know, You read these psalms and you realize this must have happened to David a lot. You know, people trying to end his life. And, and, uh, you know, what I find is that all of us tend to have at least one problem in our lives that we're going to face over and over. Okay? It might be relationships, money, health, anxiety, anger, alcohol, poor judgment, feeling inadequate, or in David's case, people trying to kill you. You know. Nearly all of us are going to have to go or will go through some kind of perennial problem. And so we're going to have to keep going to the Lord about it over and over again. And that's okay. God doesn't mind. And do you know why? I think verse 15 answers that for us. And it, it echoes those words from Exodus. He says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate And gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's the God we pray to, a gracious God who looks favorably upon us. Let's say you're a student in school. We got some students here. Some of the third graders even stayed in worship today. You're in school, and, and you know that if you, what would it be like if you knew that all of the teachers and staff and all the other students had a favorable attitude toward you? They liked you. And, and you could be confident that even if you messed up bad, 
They weren't going to give up on you. They were going to graciously help you if you ask them. I thought, how would that change things for you at, at school? I mean, for one thing, you'd never be afraid to go to school, right? I mean, you could walk through those halls with a big smile on your face, you know, your head held high. I mean, just imagine what you could accomplish if you had that kind of confidence that everybody around you was for you. In the letter of, of James in the New Testament, in chapter 4, he addresses a quarreling, fighting church. And uh, to me, it looks like they were probably uh, arguing over who's going to be in charge. And that is a worldly attitude and not a godly one. And when we, when we get into that kind of conflict, we have a divided heart. But God wants all of us, all our heart. So what does God do? James says, he gives us more grace. You're having troubles right now? You're having difficulty with each other? You're dealing with your own divided heart? He gives us more grace. You know, at Faith Westwood, we're, we're discerning which denomination to affiliate with, but we must never become a quarreling, fighting church. It's not worth it. If we ask God, he will give us more grace so that we can love each other through our differences and decisions. And the Lord's graciousness means our faults don't overrule his favor toward us. Every Sunday, usually Leah or I uh, say a blessing over the kids. Uh, and you've, many of you, if you've been here a while, you, you've, you know it by heart. You heard me say it earlier. Will you say it with me? May the Lord bless you and always smile upon you. You know, I think it's a way of saying that the Lord is gracious. Right? Now, I will confess to you that sometimes I have a hard time imagining that God is smiling upon me. I mean, I don't know what facial expression I think God has, but I... You know, smiling is not the first thing that always comes to my mind. And then I remember um, a pastor who mentored me. He, he uh, especially during my last year in college and during my seminary years, uh, his name was Bob Freskin. And Bob smiled a lot, all the time. And uh, Bob had this wiry build and a, and a narrow face. And I remember his perpetual smile. Something like that. Anyway, and, uh, it, you know, if there is anyone I know who lived a life of holiness and love with an undivided heart, it had to be Bob. And he always believed in me and supported me and guided me, prayed for me, even when I was so immature. He did not let my faults overrule his favor. He was gracious. And so, 
if I can imagine Bob's gracious smile upon me, which I can from our time together, maybe I can imagine God's gracious smile upon me and upon all of us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, what a comfort it is to know that you are a gracious God. Sometimes we've taken your gifts and we've turned them into idols. Often we treat your commands as optional because we have a hard time trusting you. Where would we be without your graciousness, your willingness to not let our faults overrule your favor? Some of us here today, Lord, I imagine, have not experienced your grace firsthand for themselves. So even now, we open our hearts to you, Lord. Let your grace flow into us and shine on us like sunshine from above. Let us experience your smile upon us from the face of Jesus. And now we're going to continue in prayer. We're going to take a couple of minutes of silence so that each one of us can just bring to God whatever is on our hearts. And I invite you, you can come and pray down here at the steps uh, and kneel or stand, or you can remain seated where you are as we pray.